0: Hi, I'm Peter Palma, the pastor of Taipei International Church, and I want to thank you for tuning into our podcast today. This program is designed to encourage you, to help you grow in your faith, and draw you closer to Jesus. May God bless you as you listen. All right. Well, I am here this morning with my good friend, Dave Shaw. Dave and I met in Korea, and he went on to become
1: a doctor, doctor of First Peter. (laughs) Yeah, First Peter is where I uh, spent five years of my life and uh, trying to be on a bit of a break (laughs) for the time being. Five years is a long time to be in one place, so I'm trying to branch out a little bit. uh, I still have a strong
0: affection for First Peter. And you're in Australia teaching at a Bible college. What are I you am?
1: teaching? Say that again? What What are you teaching? What am I teaching? Well, this semester, uh, I have New Testament introduction, uh, but we're only covering the Gospels and Acts. Uh, I also have a class on Luke and literature at master's level, which is proving really interesting. And for the first time ever, I'm teaching the Book of Esther for Old Testament. So um, I'm having to slot furiously to teach Uh, to teach about Jesus somehow from the book of Esther, which never once mentions God. Um, And so, uh, I mean, I'm enjoying that challenge. It's great.
0: And so, uh, Dave, like I said, is a friend of mine, and he's passionate about the word of God and passionate about truth. And and we just wanted to have a conversation today about suffering and specifically suffering in, in First Peter, because that is where he spent about five years of his life. Uh, looking at this. And so Dave, can you, can you talk to us about who's, who is Peter writing to?
1: So Peter is writing to, uh, a very, um, diverse and, um, spread out group of believers in, you know, in, to use today's geographical terms, an area that is much like modern Turkey. Um, so at the time that Peter wrote, uh, this would have been known as Anatolia or Asia Minor, and in the first verse it tells us that he's speaking to believers in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And these are all different regions, um, so it's a circular letter. Um, the way I explain it in my, well, you know, for an American context, say, um, it would be kind of like saying to the churches that are in Uh, Seattle, to the churches that are in LA, to the churches that are in Miami, to the churches that are in New York, and to the church that is in Kansas, something like that. It's just five churches that are actually quite spread out. Um, They are a diverse group of believers, predominantly Gentile, most people think. And uh, the reason Peter writes to them is because they are either about to suffer for the faith or have already been suffering for their faith and the idea that really drives on peter is that they are suffering on account of the fact that they were converted christians that they've left behind one particular way of life and that they've embraced this new way of life that's characterized by a crucified messiah so there's this conflict where they leave their
0: old life, embrace the new life. Why? Why was that a big deal in their context? Why did it matter that they left uh, the regular religion that other people followed and and converted to Christ? Why did people care?
1: Yeah, that that's a really good question. And in you know in the modern in our modern context, particularly I know you're in Taiwan, Peter, but uh, even there and increasingly places like Korea where we met and certainly in the USA, Australia, in the, the West more generally, we have a very individualized view of the self that we get to pursue our own dreams. We get to choose our own religion. We get to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it. And things simply weren't that way in the ancient world. And so you um, you would be raised in a particular family with a particular tradition, perhaps even in a particular village that had its own um, sort of local beaties, um, local idols. And so, and it was expected in that day and age that you would simply follow in the footsteps of your family, of your, if you're a son, certainly of your father in particular. Um, in that context, if you, if you were a woman and you got married, it was expected that you would leave behind the gods of your family in order to embrace the gods of your husband's family. And so for a person in that ancient context to become a Christian is to basically forsake everything that they had ever been raised to believe and everything that they had ever been called to do. Um, You know, no longer could they follow in the footsteps of their father. They were going to follow in the footsteps of a crucified Messiah. Um, And that could bring shame upon the family. It could lead to social ostracizing. Um, because of their faith. And so the the ultimate impact of converting to the Christian faith in that time was that you essentially became an alien in your homeland. Um, It would be like uh, in in your Taiwanese context, it would be very much like um, someone from a Buddhist tradition um, becoming a Christian um, and realizing, oh, my goodness, I'm still Taiwanese. But everything that I knew about my culture, I now see differently because of my conversion to this new Christian faith. And although on the outside, you look the same, you still look Taiwanese, you still eat Taiwanese food, um, you still dress like the Taiwanese, you still go to work with your colleagues, but your inside's different. Your whole outlook on life has changed, and that makes you an outsider, And that's what happened to these Anatolian uh, believers. They basically became weirdos and aliens and exiles um, right in their own homes, in their Mm -hmm. own villages and in their own cities. Um, And that was the cause for their suffering.
0: Peter, Peter talks about
1: suffering quite a bit.
0: What? what types of suffering did they go through? He uses the, um, you have to go, you know, don't be surprised at the fiery trial. Uh, He says um, about the the grief you need to go through right now. What exactly did that look like for them?
1: Well, that's a really good question. And it's actually the subject of quite a bit of debate in scholarship, as you can imagine, you know, scholars make a living arguing about things. Um, So our best guess in terms of the nature of the suffering would be things like um, social ostracization, simply becoming outcasts in your community, people who were once your friends now disown you, um, things like that, family members disowning you. Um, in, in First Peter, you have a household code um, where we're told that slaves may suffer for the sake of Christ because their masters may not be Christians. Um, and so if push comes to shove in that environment, if the servant is put in the position of choosing between obeying the master or obeying Christ, if those two are at odds in a given situation, that's that servant could lose their life. Um, a woman who chooses to forsake the God of her husband to worship Jesus is at risk of domestic abuse, um, So more communally, you could face financial pressure. People might stop giving you business. Um, And so you take a financial hit because of your faith. Um, And in some, in the most extreme cases, I mean, it it honestly could lead to death. Um, It's difficult to say whether that's exactly what Peter has in mind right now. Um, We know that the early church suffered uh, through the book of Acts. We know that some did die, but a lot didn't die. Um, But, things could get violent and um, and so there was certainly a cost for following Jesus uh, in that context and so yeah domestic yeah financial I mean that's just a social pressure all right. of those things would would count
0: and so in in this letter you know I'm sure some of the people who who are listening perhaps they've never read it or maybe they read it a long time ago and they don't remember. How does Peter encourage them? Does he say to accommodate? Does he say, you know, well, what, what does he say? How does he want them to respond to this suffering?
1: That's, yeah, your, your questions are so great, mate. Um, that, that question has also been the battleground for a lot of scholarly debate. Um, on one side of the equation, you have some who say that Peter should argue or you have some who say Peter argues for complete accommodation, and the example that's given for that is the household code. Um, you have others, on the other hand, who say, no, 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 it's complete sectar- It's a completely sectarian response. What is um, sectarian? It's where you basically withdraw from the world um, and you basically cut yourselves off and you become your own little sort of
0: cluster Bubble. and
1: you don't have non-Christian friends and you, yeah, Only you just work in a Christian all business. All world. Okay. Um, I think there's a more balanced approach to be had between those two. Um, one of the best that I've read um, by a well-known New Testament scholar, Joel Green, he talks about holy engagement which is the idea that you are set apart for God's purposes, um, but God's purpose is that he sends you back into the world to be his ambassadors. That, um, and I like to use the idea following on from that of the church as an embassy. So an embassy is um, a place where you represent one country on the land of another country and your ultimate allegiance is to the country of of your embassy but you build relationships in the in the country in which you have been placed um and you interact and you do commerce and you live and breathe you make friendships with with the locals but your ultimate allegiance is to the nation of your embassy and there's a sense in which churches are little embassies of the kingdom of god and we gather as a corporate people to worship, to sing God's praise, to draw strength and courage uh, from one another. And then we, as God's people, we scatter into the places that we have been sent to be God's ambassadors. Um, The the way I talk about it in my own uh, work is that um, we are elect sojourners. So we are chosen by God. um, And as such, There's a sense in which there's a level of rejection that comes from the world on account of our election by God. But um, we are sent out as God's ambassadors. Um, And in that sense, it's a priestly ministry that Mm. we represent God to those people. And when we pray for those people, we intercede for those people. We are representing those people to God as well. So part Um, of
0: our our job as we suffer is to understand that we have a mission to represent Christ.
1: 100%.
0: proclaim the gospel even to the people who are hurting us yes what what is i mean which is awesome (laughs) but at the same time we're going through all this pain because we're we're being we're suffering how does peter encourage them not to give up what what is he saying about the way they should walk through this even as they keep their eyes on christ
1: how do they do this um I guess you you got to, I think part of what it is, you have to understand to whom you belong. um, That uh, if you go through 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, he says that as you you have been called, um, be holy like the Holy One who called you. Um, And so there's a sense in knowing that, that you belong to Christ, nothing can really change that. And more than that, that he's not just called you into Christ individually. He's called you into a community. So in chapter two, you realize that you're called into this. uh, Peter talks about you are living stones. You, as you come to him, the living stone, Jesus, you likewise become like living stones being built into a new spiritual house or temple. Um, And so we draw strength from uh, the community um, as we undergo these trials, um, But what more than that, if if you've ever paid attention to one Peter, he actually kind of leads you through the Old Testament. So there are these little markers along the way that as the people of God, we understand ourselves as a people of the Exodus. Um, And Peter draws on a lot of Exodus imagery to say, look, when... So, you know, give you the ancient context again, remembering that once you become a Christian, all all that used to be true of you and your family is now gone, and you have been called into Christ. When Peter begins to articulate and allude to the Old Testament, he's basically saying to these new believers, this is your new family history. Israel's exodus is is your exodus. Um, The life of Christ in his suffering and glory is now your life. You know, your suffering and glory is in step with Jesus. Um, And as we live through that, we realize that, you know, Peter uses this idea of being a sojourner, an exile, a resident alien. And I think part of the challenge for being a Christian, particularly if we've been in the West and we're sort of riding on the coattails of 1,500 years of Christendom where it's been really comfortable, we need to embrace the idea of being weirdos again Um, and embrace the Mm -hmm. idea of being exiled and outsiders. And Peter says that if we're faithful in that calling, actually the end game is that we're called to eternal glory. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: That's in chapter five, verse 10. Um, And so he he, he uses Israel's history to give us a new family history. Um, But then he has one eye on the future to say, We know the end game because Jesus has been resurrected. Mm -hmm. Um, And with that, we remain grounded. And then we have a night of the future. And that allows us to understand who we are in Christ, where we're going in Christ. And for Peter, that's actually how you endure this time Mm -hmm. in Christ.
0: You know, you said that we need to find our identity in Christ Mm and in our relationship to God that we find strength in our community and then also in our ultimate hope that, yeah. that this is temporary. I want to ask you about a, a specific passage. I, I think this is either chapter two or three, and I'm sure you know, but it, Peter writes, beloved don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. I know, you know, and uh, so many people think if I do good things for God, then my life is going to be good. Um, And that if bad things happen to me, it's because I did something bad and God is punishing me. Um, And shouldn't life be good if I'm obedient to Jesus? (laughs) Um, And so what... Can you explain this passage a little bit to us and maybe speak to that, that, you know, there may be someone listening who, who they're going through some really tough stuff and they're just wondering, God, why are you letting this happen to me when I'm, I'm serving in church or I'm, I'm trying yeah. to love my coworkers? I'm, I'm trying to be an example in this, this dark place. What would, what, how, how does this passage help
1: them? Uh, Well, this passage from chapter four, actually chapter um, four from verse twelve, verse twelve onwards. Well, the first thing Peter says is, "Don't be surprised." Um, And and I think that in 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 a Western context, where again, if we've been riding on the coattails of Christendom for one and a half thousand years, where Christianity was the centre of the universe, where it was the moral framework out of which people worked. Um, <clears throat> that's no longer the, our time and place that, that time really is kind of over. Um, and all of a sudden our modern church is finding that really I'm, I'm being blasted just because I have what some would consider a traditional Christian sexual ethics say. Um, and I'm being polaried for that. And why, what have I done wrong? And the answer is you've done nothing wrong. Um, in fact, that's exactly what the early church experienced. um, He says, do not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you, as if something strange were happening. And we're surprised because we've had relative comfort for 1,500 years. Um, So that would be the first thing to say. Um, The second thing is that Peter then, and this is the difficult verse, he says, rejoice, insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. Um, There's this sense in which, the fact that we're suffering proves the genuineness of our faith. And that is cause for rejoicing. That it actually demonstrates in some way that we are on the right track. Now, that has to be qualified a little bit in the sense that if I'm the kind of person who really likes getting in people's face. Um, and being aggressive, like borderline aggressive in terms of our evangelistic efforts um, and shouting people down when we disagree with the way they're living their life. Um, I don't think that's what it's. If we suffer because so, of that, we kind of get what's coming to I, us.
0: I, I could suffer just because I'm a jerk and people don't exactly. like jerks.
1: Exactly. You could suffer just because you're a jerk. But on the other hand, you could suffer because. You're a person of conviction and when someone asks you to sign off on something and you in good faith can't because of your Christian stance, um, we're called to rejoice in that because it does demonstrate the genuineness of our faith. And Peter even alludes to that right at the beginning of the letter in chapter 1 where he talks about, um, he says in verse 6 of chapter 1, in this you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary You have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, even though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. So even right at the outset, Peter is quite clear that and in fact, even um, in chapter three, continuing that uh, idea. In verse 13 of chapter 3, Peter says, Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. How, does, how, do, how do we He's get blessed by good suffering? Words.
0: Say that again? How do we get blessed by suffering? You know, Because he says that twice, right? He, he says you, you're in, in verse 14 of chapter 4, he says, If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Because yeah. the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You know, I, I like to be comfortable. Yes. <laughs> I feel like that's a blessing. So mm. how, how is suffering a blessing in my life? It tests my faith. I get that. It shows that my faith is genuine. It's part of being in this world. But how, how yeah. am I blessed through it?
1: I think in part, well, again, you're blessed in, let's say, one immediate way and one sort of more eschatological, sort of when we're thinking about the end game, when Jesus comes back. Okay. The, 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 the immediate blessing, if I can put it like that, is that you gain the understanding that, you, that you, there's a sense in which you are an embodiment of the gospel, of what Jesus himself went through, that you are a living embodiment of the gospel. So in chapter two, um, where Peter gives instructions to servants, He then offers them Jesus Christ, the suffering servant. And so what's interesting about Peter's household code is that the first, and, and this is what sets Peter's household code apart from Paul's and any in the ancient world, is that he lists slaves first. And slaves and servants are those held up as the model for suffering as a Christian virtue in the early church they are the ones who most closely embody and resemble the suffering of Jesus. Um, And so there's, and that sounds like a backhanded compliment to those who suffer. And I understand that. And it's not easy, but the bearing of unjust suffering on account of your faith is actually in a sense, the ultimate embodiment of the gospel. So that's the first thing. But the second thing is that, um, there's a sense in which the more we suffer now, and this will sound weird until you think about it in modern in maybe a modern setting, but the suffering we experience now prepares us for an even greater glory in the future. And I know we talked about this last week when we did a bit of a dry run, but um, the example I use in my classes is think about um, a sports team that has the ultimate success. You know, they win the NFL Super Bowl, they win the World Series, they win. You know, if you've got any Aussies there, the Aussie Rules Football Grand Final. Um, <clears throat> the the real, we catch onto the real underdog stories when that happens because we know how much those teams go through to get the ultimate success, and so. Um, you know, so, you know, to use an Australian example recently in professional sports, the West Coast Eagles football team based in Perth, uh, they won the whole thing in 2018. And in the build up to the finals, I mean, they were playing really well, even though a lot of people had expected them to finish on the bottom of the, uh, of the, uh, the ladder, the uh, standings. Um, towards the end of the season, they lost one of their best defenders through injury, They lost their best midfielder through suspension. He knocked a guy's teeth out, literally, um, which wasn't great. Um, And then they lost arguably the best, uh, we call him a Ruckman. The NBA equivalent would be a centre, your tallest player who can tap the ball to your better players. So the Eagles lost three key players in the space of a matter of weeks just before the playoffs. And everyone wrote them off. And they ended up winning the whole thing to everyone's surprise. And now here's the thing now. If I now go back online and watch every game of that 2018 season, knowing how it all ends, I'm going to view every challenge, every obstacle, every injury, every suspension differently. You know, at the time, it feels like it's tragic and we'll never overcome this. But in the light of the glory that comes at the end, I can watch that whole season unfold now with a sense of peace, knowing that, okay, so-and-so gets injured, it's going to be okay. So-and-so gets suspended, it's going to be okay. Um, And all of a sudden I'm watching the season through a totally different lens because I know that it ends in glory. Mm. And that's a really good analogy of the Christian Mm -hmm. life, that Mm -hmm. we have trials, we have temptations, people do get sick, Um, People do die. People do get divorced. Our lives are full of tragedy and struggle and suffering. But if we know the end game, if we know the glory in Christ that is to be revealed, then all of these things will seem like a blip. Mm. And there's a sense in which Peter says the the greater the sufferings, the greater the glory at the end.
0: Uh, For Peter... Is suffering a way that we come to know Jesus better? And I, I think, you know, would Peter say that ultimately the best thing for us is to know Jesus better?
1: Um, that's a loaded question. I have to be careful how I answer that. I do not think that Peter wishes suffering upon people. Uh-huh. So he's not, he's not saying, go look for suffering, go find it. Go chase suffering, go make yourselves a martyr. He's not saying that at all. And in fact, Peter, I think the fact that this letter exists is an acknowledgement that suffering can lead to people falling away. Mm. Mm. He's writing to encourage people. He's writing to tell them, you can do this. You can keep going. Keep the faith. So Peter suffering doesn't
0: that. guarantee growth.
1: It doesn't it's... guarantee growth. Not at all. It It can lead to falling away. I mean, chapter 1, Peter says, look, be sober-minded. Set your hope on the grace to be revealed to you. And then he says, as obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Mm -hmm. So here's the thing. If I'm suffering for my newfound faith, the temptation is to be, is going to be, to walk back to my old way of life where I absolutely didn't suffer, Mm. where I was just one of the guys. So Peter sees that as a really, as a genuine temptation. Mm. Um, And he says, no, no, you have been called by God. Be holy like the Holy One who called you. Don't go back to the old way, the old and empty way of life. Don't, you know, funnily enough, and of course, Peter is perhaps the example par excellence with this regard. After Jesus's death, where do we find Peter in the Gospel of John? What does he go back to? Fishing. He goes back to his fishing boats. Mm. And I, I, I do wonder if in these verses there isn't a little bit of autobiography there that Peter himself, having seen Jesus die, thinking it was all over, went back to his fishing boats. Mm. And so, it's there that Peter comes and says, or Jesus rather comes and says, no, no, come feed back. my lambs. Feed so sh-
0: Peter is not telling us to pursue suffering. No. But he is telling us there's purpose and there's God's grace within our suffering. 100%. And so we yes. shouldn't give up. We shouldn't say God is punishing me or no. why am I going through this strange thing? It's it's part of following Jesus, but in the end it's going to be glorious beyond far beyond what we've gone through.
1: Yeah. I, I do think that's what Peter is saying. And so, we talk about saving grace. we talk about empowering grace. I think we need I think what Peter talks about is enduring grace mm. that we are given the grace to endure. Mm. Um, and it's so vital for Christians in that sense to be to be grounded in sound doctrine for just such a time as this. So
0: I know we only have a, a minute or two left before yeah. you have to go. What would you, you know, closing words? What would you say to someone who's going through something right now that feels like it's a fiery trial?
1: I would say first of all that it's not without purpose, even if we don't know that purpose now. That's the first thing I would say, um, and that's a, that can be a bitter pill to swallow. Um, and I think the church needs to rally around such people. Um, we don't have all the answers. We don't know why people suffer and struggle. If, you know, if Job's friends teach us anything, is that we should shut up and just maybe hug someone um, <laughs> during such times. Um, and I think the other thing to say, and it actually isn't in First Peter at all, it's in Second Corinthians, is that Paul suggests that, we can, there's a sense in which suffering can actually teach us empathy for others when they go through suffering too. So Paul talks about the God of all comfort who comforts us, and but it's not for its own end. It's so that when other people go through that, we can comfort them with the comfort that God gave us. Who better to come alongside the person struggling with cancer than the person who has had to battle and overcome cancer who better to come alongside the person who may have tragically had a miscarriage than the person who has had a has had a miscarriage and yet retained their faith in God um, what, what what one Peter tells us is that our sufferings don't need to be wasted
0: mm.
1: and that they can actually be in time used as a means to to bless others um, now in one Peter he's not really he's not necessarily talking about those kinds of sufferings per se um, what Peter would say is that you've had you've got a true hope in Jesus that's demonstrated in his resurrection and that you live in his strength, in his power, and that when it's all said and done, eternal glory can be yours if we're willing to bear our cross, as it were, before we receive our crown. I think too many of us want to get to the crown um, without necessarily bearing our cross.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: we in the West who have had it comfortable for a while, this is our chance to look at Christians in places like Africa, Asia. Um, And really learn from what they've been dealing with really for centuries. Um, And this is our chance to be humbled and to learn from those who have gone before us and have suffered much more than we may ever do.
0: Thanks for listening to the podcast today. If you were encouraged, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes or Spotify so others can find our channel. If you have a friend who would be encouraged by this episode, please let them know about it. Share it with them. If you live in the Taipei area and you'd like to join us on a Sunday for service, go to our website, www.taipeichurch.org. And if you're around the world and you'd like to participate in our Sunday service, you can join our live stream on our YouTube channel, Taipei International Church. So whether you live in Taipei, Taiwan, or another nation, may God bless you. May his face shine upon you, and may he give you peace. See you next time.